All right, welcome back once again to the Counter Vortex with your ranter, Bill Weinberg, ranting at you in the wee hours of September 18th from my apartment on Manhattan's Lower East Side. And uh, I cannot tell you how vindicated I feel and how downright enthusiastic I am about the popular uprising which is going on in El Salvador. People have been aware about this? I'm going to bring you up to speed. Brief report from my website, Counter Vortex, written a couple of days ago. Protests have repeatedly erupted in El Salvador over the past week as the country became the first to make Bitcoin legal tender. The U.S. dollar also remains official currency, but the law pushed through by President Nayib Bukele mandates that all vendors also accept Bitcoin. Small merchants, and especially those in the informal sector, complain of problems in trying to download the official phone app needed to use the currency. Protesters say the new law will deepen poverty by further excluding the already marginalized from the economy. They also assert that it will further enable corruption. Quote, this is a currency that's not going to work for pupusa vendors, bus drivers, or shopkeepers, one protester told Reuters. This is a currency that's ideal for big investors who want to speculate with their economic resources. And uh, pupusas, if you don't know, that's like uh, Salvadoran street food. It's kind of like um, a stuffed tortilla. Pretty good. <clears throat> the Public Sectors Worker Union has joined the protest, also opposing Bukele's proposed pension reform. Mario Gomez, a digital analyst and prominent critic of the Bitcoin conversion, was arbitrarily detained during the protest when the National Civil Police intercepted the vehicle he was driving in with his mother. He appears to have been released after being interrogated. <clears throat> Protesters accused Bukele of attempting to establish a dictatorship. And an update that I just wrote uh, earlier today, Salvadorans declare independence from Bitcoin. Protesters in El Salvador took to the streets September 15th, bicentennial of the nation's independence, to protest the adoption of Bitcoin as legal tender and recent moves by President Nayib Bukele to consolidate power. Several thousand people marched to the central plaza in San Salvador, brandishing signs reading no to dictatorship and we were defrauded by Bitcoin. The demonstrations were largely peaceful, though one group smashed windows and set fire to a Bitcoin ATM kiosk installed last month ahead of the cryptocurrencies rollout as legal tender. All right, now I have to make clear here that... Um, I do not condone or advocate acts of arson. I think that's bad tactics. I also have to uh, make clear here, you know, that I'm not going to be dishonest. I can't say that I did not take pleasure in reading that, that that happened, <laughs> that a Bitcoin kiosk was put to the torch. I don't advocate it, but that doesn't mean that I don't take pleasure in reading about it. And what really uh, turns me on about this up, national uprising underway in El Salvador now is that finally people are rising up against the technocracy 
and the digitization of every sphere of human activity and our lives being colonized by these faceless, literally inhuman bureaucracies. I mean, it's just been galloping full speed ahead for so long now. It just gets worse every day. And we're all, you know, so distracted, or at any rate ought to be, so distracted with the more immediate pressing problems of war and peace and police brutality and climate change and nuclear proliferation and so on, that nobody even bothers to protest it, which is utterly, utterly insidious and dystopian. And finally, people are starting to protest it. People are actually rising up and taking to the streets in El Salvador. I'm definitely going to be watching the uh, uprising in El Salvador very closely on uh, my website, countervortex.org, in the days to come. And it's particularly vindicating for me at this moment because, you know, invariably, you know, every few months, or maybe it's every few weeks, my um, attempt to make progress in my, in my actual work, my writing, is interrupted by my life being upended by having to um, battle some faceless bureaucracy over tiresome quotidian bullshit. Not to mention that my, you know, day-to-day work is also being constantly slowed down and interrupted just on a, you know, a daily basis by having to, you know, jump through digital hoops and learn how to use new programs and download new programs and blah, blah, blah to do anything. To submit a story, to send a pitch to an editor, to get paid for a freelance story, to do anything as a writer at all, let alone trying to, you know, actually maintain and promote my websites, my flagship website being countervortex.org, And there's always got to be a new app or a new program to do anything whatsoever. And I complain that it isn't working. And everybody on Facebook tells me, oh, you're still on Bagel? All the cool kids are on Alligator. So, you know, I waste a day or two downloading Alligator and figuring out how to use it. And then literally the next day, Everybody's telling me, you know, when it doesn't work and I'm complaining about it on Facebook once again, everybody's telling me, oh, you're still on Alligator? All the cool kids are on Tree Frog. And around it goes. And there's just no end in sight. It just gets worse and worse and worse. But uh, I happen to be going through a particular bout right now of um, not the daily ongoing energy draining technical bullshit, but a particular um, eruption of special technical bullshit where I'm having to battle these faceless bureaucracies, which have completely colonized our lives and which we utterly depend on and don't provide the services that we that we pay for. And everybody takes it for granted. And uh, I happen to be battling both Verizon, my internet provider, and Con Ed, my electricity provider, at the moment. So I'm being hit with a double whammy. Fun, fun, fun. And you know, 20, 30 years ago, back before Verizon was Verizon, back when it was still New York Telephone, you know, both New York Telephone, or 9X as it actually was, and Con Ed had physical offices in my neighborhood. 
And if there was some kind of a problem, some kind of discrepancy on my bill or whatnot, I could actually walk into the office and sit down and talk to a human being. Well, of course, those days are long gone. No more physical offices. So I'm left trying to get somebody on the phone, which is a joke. Because first of all, if my phone has gone out, as it frequently does, which is frequently the problem with Verizon, how am I supposed to do that? I mean, before I finally had a cellular telephone foisted upon me against my will by circumstance, when my telephone service went out in my apartment, I, I, I would literally have to go out to a payphone out in the street and feed coins into it as I waited on hold interminably before I could finally reach an operator. And now I can't even do that because all the payphones are gone replaced by these strange, futuristic obelisks that look like uh, the obelisk out of uh, 2001, A Space Odyssey, which I have no idea how to use and no interest in finding out. Thank you very much. And the time that you have to spend waiting to get through to an operator when you're trying to reach either Verizon or Con Ed just gets longer and longer and longer and longer. And there's these endless choice menus and they're trying to do everything in their power to prevent you from talking to a human being. So you only have to interface with robots. And they always give you this um, recorded message saying, due to particularly heavy call volume, there may be a long wait. But with a particular heavy, particularly heavy call volume, you get that message every time you call. Obviously, it's a transparent lie. They just don't want to hire human beings. And they want to get us conditioned to only dealing with robots. So it's intentional that they keep you waiting for up to 90 minutes before you can actually talk to a human being. And sometimes you can't even reach a human being. Sometimes you wait 90 minutes listening to that recorded announcement go round and round and round and round and listening to, you know, listening to their bad recorded music. And then you just get disconnected and you don't even reach a human being. All right, now... Uh, the problem with Con Edison is new. The problem with Verizon has been going on for uh, something like 15 years. And also has to do with their conspiracy. And yes, that's what it is. It's a conspiracy to phase out landlines and the copper wires that the signal goes over, which also means phasing out DSL as a means of getting on the internet, and thereby get out of their um, obligations to the public of New York State as a state utility, because those public trust obligations go with the landlines. The law has never been updated to include wireless service. So in the face of, you know, deteriorating service and lengthy and frequent outages, you know, I have been trying to uh, rouse the, <clears throat> the public bureaucracy, the competent authorities, supposedly competent authorities, perhaps we should call them the incompetent authorities, to enforce the law on Verizon, and none of them will respond. I have contacted the New York State Public Service Commission over and over. I have actually written them physical letters that I sent through the mail, like actually printed on paper and put in an envelope with a stamp and dropped on a mailbox. Remember that? No response. I've contacted the New York State Attorney General's office. No response. I've contacted the New York City Public Advocate. No response. I've contacted the New York City Department of Information Technology and Telecommunications, or do it. No response. Everybody is completely asleep at the switch. And this in the midst of a pandemic, when we're constantly being lectured that, you know, all, all 
of human life has got to, you know, be done remotely. I mean, it's just unthinkable. And uh, finally, I've contacted all of my um, elected representatives to little avail as well, federal, state, and local level. I want to give a shout out here to uh, not an actual uh, government agency, but a um, an advocacy organization, the Public Utility Law Project up in Albany, which has been the only one, ironically, <laughs> Of all these entities, it's the only one which is not in an actual position of responsibility to the public. It's not a government agency, but they're the only one that has actually been responding to me on a regular basis, at least, and doing what they can on my behalf. So I'm going to read the uh, the letters that I wrote to uh, the various agencies, my various elected representatives, and to the Public Utility Law Project, PULP. First concerning Verizon. For 20 years, I have been suffering service outages from Verizon, leaving me with neither phone nor net access. The outages can last for months at a time and have been growing more frequent. I am still on DSL as Fios, which is the uh, fiber optic service, is not available in my building. I am terrified that Verizon is going to tear out the copper wires which they have already basically abandoned in terms of maintenance, and leave me with no access. Verizon New York remains Verizon New York, which is a subsidiary of the overall Verizon company, remains a state utility and has a legal responsibility to provide every New Yorker with phone service. I do not understand how they are allowed to get away with this. I was in touch with uh, my assembly member, Deborah Glick's office, but she totally dropped the ball. Some serious measure needs to be taken in Albany to address this situation. There are thousands in the state, at least, who are in the same predicament. Okay, now I have not actually suffered a lengthy outage recently. I've suffered some brief outages, like a couple of hours, but I haven't suffered any lengthy outages recently. Last year, I had no phone or internet service from late July through early October. Seriously slowed down my work, as you can imagine. I had to improvise access through the hotspot on the cell phone, which has been foisted upon me against my will. But what did happen is that, uh, okay, I'm kind of betraying a secret here, but uh, I feel that it's, it's kind of necessary at this point. You know, every time over the past several years that I suffer an outage, We go through this ritual where Verizon insists on sending a technician to my apartment, even though we all know that the problem is with the cable out in the street that they've allowed to deteriorate. But they say they can't do anything until they send a technician to my apartment. So the technician comes to my apartment and says, no, there's nothing wrong in your apartment. And then the technician always says, well, you know, I'm not supposed to tell you this, but Verizon is essentially abandoned the copper wires. They stopped doing any maintenance on them. That's why they're deteriorating, especially after um, Hurricane Sandy in 2012 when they were when they were damaged. Verizon just made a decision to stop maintaining them. It's kind of like an open secret. And sorry if I'm betraying the trust of those technicians, but you know, I've been, uh, I, I've been holding my tongue about this long enough. If any of you technicians gets in trouble over this, you can contact me and I'll do my best to make amends. What can I say? Um, but more recently, a, um, a neighbor of mine, not in my building, but in a building nearby, 
uh, Verizon actually did come over to uh, convert her apartment to Fios, fiber optic service. And by the way, I went over to her apartment uh, to uh, see what it looked like. And the, the modem is, you know, this gargantuan fucking mechanism that looks like a nuclear warhead. I don't have room for that in my apartment. I mean, it doesn't even matter because they aren't offering Fios in my apartment anyway. But even, you know, in the eventuality that they do, I don't want that in my apartment. Why can't we just maintain the copper wires and stick with DSL? Utterly maddening. Anyway, so my friend told me, my neighbor told me, that when the technician came over to do the Fios conversion in her apartment, he told her that Verizon has not only abandoned the copper wires, they are actually preparing to tear them out. And if they do this, I am going to be left high and dry, completely cut off from the world, in the middle of a pandemic where I am struggling to make a living as a freelance writer, which depends on internet access. So that's why I am once again engaged in this Sisyphean endeavor of attempting to rouse the bureaucracy to enforce the law on Verizon. And in the midst of all of this, my new Con Ed bill arrives, and I get yet a second unpleasant surprise. So the second letter I sent out over the past days to try to elicit some response from the uh, bureaucrats' elected representatives and the one group which actually did respond, PULP, the Public Utility Law Project, my Con Ed bill generally comes to around $100 a month, and I pay it every month. It's been this way for the whole 30 years I've been living at my current address. My latest bill is for $380, with a statement saying I'm being charged for 239 days. I called Con Ed and waited on hold for 90 minutes before I got through to a human being who told me that my last several months of bills have been estimates. They didn't actually come in and read the meter, but they made estimates. And they went back and revised them and found that I had been undercharged. This cannot possibly be legit. What kind of bait-and-switch jive is this? Yes, I used the word jive in a letter to my elected representative. <clears throat> I'm a struggling freelance writer. I just lost my steady gig, and money is very tight right now. Please tell me that I have some recourse here. And again, I have heard from several of my friends that they're experiencing the same thing. So I really need to ask, are we going to take this lying down? Or are we going to actually organize some protest? And, and are consumers actually going to speak up with a unified voice and not let them get away with this? I mean, this is just simply bait-and-switch jive. You pay your bill in good faith. And it isn't particularly lower than, than it had been for the past 20, 30 years, whatever. And then, you know, months later, they come back and say, nah, we decided we undercharged you. You owe us almost $400 now. Unbelievable. And here we are, you know, debating the, uh, the expiring of the eviction moratorium. Why isn't there a moratorium on this kind of crap? I mean, it's as if I went to the grocery and spent $3 on a loaf of bread. And then, like, you know, months later, I got a letter in the mail saying, oh, sorry, we actually undercharged you for that bread. The $3 that we asked for it was just an estimate. 
The actual price was $15. So you owe us $12. Now, this would be immediately recognized as total bullshit. If your local grocer can't do that, why can Con Ed do it? And getting back to uh, Verizon and their evident preparation to uh, tear out the copper wires and just abandon the service of everybody who's still on either landlines or, uh, or DSL or both, as in my case. You know, a good sign that they're getting ready to do this is that um, just this year, maybe it began last year, but it's certainly quite complete by this point. The uh, city has been removing, the New York City government, I assume it's them, has been actually removing all of the payphones. They've actually been tearing them out of the sidewalk. I mean, a lot, most of them didn't work. Hardly, hardly any of them actually worked at this point. It was very, very rare that you could find a working payphone. But now they're actually physically removing them. I can tell you for a fact that in the, uh, the greater Lower East Side in Chinatown, there was exactly one payphone left. Because while I don't get out of my neighborhood very much these days, you know, I bike all over my neighborhood all the time, running my various errands. So I'm pretty damn sure that there is exactly, in the, in the entire greater Lower East Side Chinatown area, there is one payphone left at the corner of uh, Bayard and Mulberry. That's it. And of course, it doesn't work. And of course, you know, those weird obelisks are proliferating. And you know, the thing that really exposes this constant merry-go-round of pointless technological change, I will not use the word progress, as a total scam, is the fact that we're still riding around in automobiles with all of the pressing, urgent, mandated reasons to abandon the private automobile and the internal combustion engine from the carnage that they cause on our streets on a daily basis to the disappearing polar ice caps, the damn things still clog the streets of this city. Every time you turn around, there's some new app or program that you've got to download off the internet. But throughout my entire life, approaching six goddamn decades that I've been living in New York City and living on planet Earth, the streets have been clogged with automobiles. So. Don't tell me that it isn't a total scam. And in fact, now the whole automobile thing is actually getting worse because now they're actually talking about driverless cars. So the internal combustion engine and the, uh, the private automobile on one hand and, you know, this literally inhuman digital totalitarianism on the other. Two great tastes that taste great together. That's a reference to uh, an old um, commercial for Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. You didn't get that. And another reason that you know that it's a scam is, okay, has this ever happened to you? A couple of months ago, I went to the bank to try to either deposit or withdraw some money. And I was told that they couldn't do any transactions that day, and maybe not the next day either, because their internet connection was down. And they couldn't do a damn thing until it was back up again. Now, back in the old days, just 20 or 30 years ago, before everybody was jacked to the net, that never happened. Back when everything was actually done by hand in actual ledger books, not that long ago. That never happened. And yet somehow we all take it for granted because we're all completely indoctrinated in the dogma that digital technology makes life faster and easier and more convenient. When obviously the exact opposite is true. And I'll also point out 
that my bank was not on Verizon DSL or Verizon Fios, but it was on Spectrum Cable. So all of you people who have been, you know, lecturing me that I should just get on cable and that would solve all my problems, well, forgive my skepticism. So I want to know why we aren't out protesting in the streets over this stuff. Why we aren't out protesting in the streets over the abandonment of landlines and the elimination of payphones and the inordinate amount of time that we have to spend waiting on hold to talk to a utility representative and the imposition of driverless cars, and the digitization of all spheres of human activity. Why aren't we out in the streets protesting about this? All right, and I understand that a part of the reason is that there really are, you know, these other extremely pressing and urgent things which are consuming our activists' energies. And certainly, I was very happy to read about the um, Extinction Rebellion protest that happened here in Manhattan today, September 17th, where several were arrested committing civil disobedience at the offices of uh, J.P. Morgan, Chase, Citibank, Bank of America, and other financial institutions that fund the fossil fuel industry. Great! I support that! Beautiful! But a part of the dystopia is that, you know, while we're distracted fighting these, you know, big urgent, attention-demanding questions like global warming and police brutality. Meanwhile, more and more and more of our lives every day are being colonized by digital technology and these faceless, sinister corporate bureaucracies. And, you know, the, uh, the situationists, the ultra-left anarchist current in the uh, May 1968 uprising in Paris, uh, you know, used to talk about the revolution of everyday life, and that ultimately we cannot meaningfully address, you know, the seemingly larger and more pressing questions like global warming and military aggression and so on without fundamentally changing everyday life. And on the subject of uh, criminal military aggression, I assume you all heard about this also in the news today, September 17th, horrific story. The Pentagon has acknowledged that the August 29th drone strike in Kabul that officials said was necessary to prevent an attack on U.S. troops was a tragic mistake that killed 10 civilians, including seven children. Quote, I offer my profound condolences to the family and friends of those who were killed, said General Kenneth McKenzie Jr., commander of U.S. Central Command at a Pentagon news conference. He said the U.S. was, quote, exploring the possibility of payments to compensate the families of the victims. The driver of the targeted car was Samari Amadi, a longtime worker for a U.S. aid organization. The missile strike came as he arrived home and his children came out to greet him. My God, what a horrific story. As if the debacle that the United States is leaving behind in Afghanistan is not shameful enough, but this just just punctuates it with such horrific poignancy. Ugh. And the reason I bring this up is because there is actually a commonality. Now, 
let me emphasize the obvious. Not an equivalency, not remotely an equivalency, but a commonality with the, you know, quotidian problems that I have been facing with Con Ed and Verizon. In both cases, literally inhuman bureaucracies are playing with the lives of us living organic human beings. Now, in that case, it was literal murder. In fact, mass murder, a massacre. Under international law, a massacre is generally considered a killing of three or more people. In my case, it is um, the slow death of our lives being frittered away by detail. In the words of H.D. Thoreau, a phenomenon certainly exponentially more advanced in our day than it was in his. All right, I'm going to end with just one more cynical observation before I stop ranting for tonight, which is that, uh, you know, among all of the things which I'm actually glad that people are in the streets protesting about, like global warming and police brutality and drone strikes, actually, I haven't seen any protest over the drone strikes for a while. But people have also, even here in supposedly, you know, liberal New York City, there have been protests against the new vaccination mandates and even having to wear a mask. Now, hopefully I do not have to elaborate on the evident reality that these people are dangerous idiots. If anybody who's listening disagrees with me, well, you can get in touch through my website, countervortex.org and we can have it out. And maybe I'll have to devote a whole podcast to that. But I'll say no more about it at the moment. I think it should be pretty damn clear that these people are dangerous idiots. And it is so maddening that people find it within themselves to get out in the street and angrily protest over sacrifice-free, common-sense public health measures in the middle of a pandemic. And nobody, but nobody, has seen fit to organize any protests about the abandonment of landlines, the elimination of payphones, the inordinate amount of time that we have to spend waiting on hold to speak to a utility representative, the imposition of driverless cars, and the digitization of all spheres of human activity. When are we going to see some protest about that stuff? And, uh, you know, the lack of protest about that and these, you know, stupid, inappropriate protests about uh, having to wear a mask, they actually form a kind of a paradoxical uh, unity. Because a part of the reason that people are not protesting the digitization of reality is that we've all been completely brainwashed by the so-called cult of progress. That's what I call it anyway, the cult of progress, where in this teleological fallacy, it is assumed, because we've all been indoctrinated in this from birth, that any technological change is an advancement, is for the greater good, and is inevitable. All, obviously, dangerous and manifestly incorrect assumptions. And the irony is, is that, you know, it is this digital technology and the whole, you know, online culture of post-truth, algorithm-driven, confirmation bias, roll-your-own-reality which is allowing the proliferation of these bad ideas, such as the anti-vax dogma. Perfect example of what one writer meant when he wrote that modern technology gives us improved means 
to degraded ends. So, uh, you know, over the past couple of weeks, I've really been in despair over, once again, my, you know, eternal struggle to make some kind of headway in my work is interrupted by this, you know, stupid, time-wasting bullshit that just gets worse and worse and worse all the time, and there isn't any end in sight, and nobody even seems to take it seriously as an issue. So I am so heartened and so enthused that on this September 15th, bicentenary of El Salvador's independence from Spain, the people of El Salvador are standing up and declaring their independence from Bitcoin. All solidarity with the uprising in El Salvador, where the revolution of everyday life has begun. This has been Bill Weinberg with the Counter Vortex. Please check us out online at countervortex.org. We could really use your help if you can support us on Patreon. We ask just $1 per weekly podcast. Patreon.com slash countervortex. Join the Counter Vortex. Join the resistance. And rant on you next time.